0: Do please uh, keep your Bibles open there at Ephesians as we look at this part of chapter 5. As we, uh, as we do, let's pray together. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we learn of your plan of salvation. We learn of the sacrifice of your son Jesus. And we learn of all that that means for us as your people, how we are to live Uh, As followers of Jesus, help us as we read these words today to understand what we read. Uh, Apply your word to our hearts by your spirit, we ask, and uh, help us to grow as followers of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Marriage. Uh, What is marriage for? What is the, the reason for marriage? An institution that has existed For as long as people have existed, and which is common to every human society in some form, uh, marriage has been used for all kinds of purposes over the centuries and has had all sorts of different meanings for people at different times in history. Uh, In the days when uh, kingdoms were the most common form of government, marriage was a convenient way to uh, unite kingdoms, uh, often used to smooth relations between two kingdoms, ensure peace and cooperation. Going forward, uh, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> marriage can be a way of keeping uh, parents happy, the arranged marriage, <laughs> or maybe a way for, for parents, uh, in that case, to contribute to the happiness of their children. Uh, what about the marriage of convenience, designed to allow a foreign citizen to stay legally in a foreign country? Is that the purpose of marriage? Uh, the shotgun wedding, designed to deal with the problem, problem of an unexpected pregnancy and to uh, uh, make the man face up to his new responsibilities, usually. Uh, perhaps for many people, marriage is seen as a cure for loneliness. And perhaps many have married unwisely, just so that they won't be uh, left on the shelf, so to speak. What about romantic marriage? Uh, marriage for love. Not not the Disney princess type, where you get married almost immediately before or after your first kiss to a very handsome man who you've known for about three days. no. Uh, romantic marriage being the most common form of marriage in the Western world, uh, designed to bring together two people in love, to establish a family unit and to contribute to the lifelong happiness of the couple in question. Uh, Is that what marriage is for? Is that the reason for marriage? Certainly the Bible tells us that the establishment uh, of marriage for, uh, for the good of human society, the fostering of the family unit, the raising of children... Uh, And in our passage today, Paul points to committed love and respect between husband and wife. The Bible speaks of marriage as a lifelong commitment, one that shouldn't be entered into lightly or broken easily, but the passage also points to an underlying purpose and an overarching relationship that marriage represents, uh, which is the fundamental reason for marriage to exist in the first place. Uh, It's the reason to listen to this passage, whether you're married or single, There you go, so single people, please don't tune out. Uh, This is for all of us. Uh, Because it's all about what Paul has been describing throughout Ephesians, the relationship of unity between Christ and his people, the church. Since the start of chapter 4, Paul's been giving practical instruction of how we live in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. Uh, How we live as, as the church, the new body of people God has made us to be with Christ himself as our head. Uh, and Paul continues here with some very specific instructions, instructions about how to conduct ourselves in uh, particular relationships, all hanging off this hinge verse, Ephesians 5:21. Uh, Ephesians five verse 21, "Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." Uh, it's a hinge verse because it's connected to the section before related to the command in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. And it's also related to the three specific relationships Paul now goes on to describe. He'll talk about submitting to one another in the context of uh, marriage, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, and slaves and masters. Today we focus on the marriage relationship, husbands and wives. Uh, Have a read of the first uh, few verses then there with me, uh, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Paul is drawing a fairly clear analogy here. From the start, we see marriage as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, And from the start, we see in marriage this concept of headship Uh, The husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Uh, Paul showed us this image of Jesus as head of the church where he describes the growth of the church in maturity back in Ephesians 4 verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. As we already know, Christ is the head of the church and we see straight away that the marriage relationship reflects uh, this relationship uh, reflects the, the church's relationship with Christ. Now, of course, uh, when Paul says uh, in these opening verses that the wife is to submit to her husband, that's a concept that cops a lot of flack, <laughs> generates a lot of debate among Christians, let alone when non Christians hear that that's what the Bible says. And, well, very quickly, uh, objections are raised, and the church is accused of. Teaching uh, outdated and misogynistic attitudes. You know, we've worked so hard to gain equality for the sexes. People might say, well, how can you destroy that? Of course, that fear reflects a misunderstanding of what the passage is actually saying. There's a difference in roles between men and women, but that doesn't destroy equality of the sexes. We're all made in the image of God, all sinners saved by grace, uni- united by God in Christ, one body, no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, Paul says, but all one in Christ Jesus, equally valuable, equally part of the body, members of the kingdom. But being equal doesn't necessarily mean being the same. Uh, At the same time, there is difference in roles between men and women in various areas of life, differences which may be out of step with certain values in society, but differences which... The Bible describes it in a number of places and which in no way diminish the value before God of any of his people. Uh, one of the ways Paul describes these differences in roles is, is with this concept, concept of headship. Uh, another example uh, from, from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul applies the concept of headship in the setting of the church gathering, how God's people should glorify God and relate to each other when they gather for public worship. Paul uses very similar language uh, to Ephesians 5 as he describes the orderly way that our gatherings should be conducted, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Now, we won't go into the specifics of uh, headship in the gathering right now. That's for another time and we have actually looked at 1 Corinthians uh, before. Um, but the same concept, you see, applies in various ways, this concept of headship. Because God has designed a certain order with roles for men and women to fulfill. Different but equal. Uh, not unequal but still different. The use of the word head uh, here in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, uh, it's about authority or prominence. Uh, different roles and responsibilities assigned by God. God is the head. Over Christ, Christ is the head of every man and man is the head of woman. Again, not a popular idea in Western culture today. People are far more into individual determinism and uh, that that idea of equality as sameness. Uh, In fact, the world would like to remove uh, all manner of difference (laughs) between the sexes. Maybe there's no sex at all. Maybe there's no gender at all. Is that not going to go there? Not even going to touch it. But in the biblical scheme of things, uh, being equal does not mean being the same. Not in any sense. Uh, we live with the, uh, the variety God has created. Uh, these authority relationships uh, too are reflective of the relationships even within the Trinity. Uh, God the Father is the head of God the Son. Paul said there in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Jesus submits to the Father and we see this most clearly in Jesus' death on the cross for sin. God the Father is the head of God the Son. Paul, uh, 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 sorry, uh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, we see this most clearly uh, in Jesus' death on the cross for sin. Jesus submitting to the Father, uh, taking the punishment for sin uh, by dying on a cross, even though uh, he he would have taken another way if it were possible. There are different roles and authority even within the Trinity. Different. Uh, The different members take prominence at different times, but God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are still all equally God. Uh, None of them are less important or less necessary, but not equal in the sense of being the same either. And so it is with God's people in the church, and so it is in Christian marriage, in the way that God has designed it. And the wife, for her part, Paul says here in Ephesians 5, is to submit to her husband. Paul uses the word respect at the end of the passage, as we'll see, and the same relationship is being described. A fair question to ask is then, well, what does submission mean in this passage? Just how is a woman to submit to her husband? Well, Paul doesn't give much detail apart from outlining the principles involved. One thing to notice is that men and women are each given their instructions and each is responsible fulfilling their role willingly and voluntarily. Uh, Paul doesn't instruct men to force their wives to submit. He doesn't instruct the men to ensure that their wives submit through coercion or control or any other tactic. And when we see that the husband's role is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, surely a husband who loves in that way is a husband who a wife can uh, willingly submit to. And when we think of that, I'm sure we can also all think of ways in which husbands uh, fail in that duty, circumstances and occasions where husbands simply do not uh, do well at this. And if a husband is controlling his wife's behaviour with the back of his hand, for example, as as happens far too often in our society, uh, or exerting such control that his wife loses basic human rights or freedoms, well then, help needs to be sought and that marriage needs to be rebuilt if possible, but not at the expense of the wife's physical or mental health and safety. So there are certain things that submission doesn't mean. And we could look to various ethical instructions in the Bible for support of that, but ultimately it's the wife's responsibility to respond to Uh, The instruction here is submit to her husband, uh, submitting primarily uh, to his headship in spiritual matters. I think we'll see as we go on. And she does so in the context of this passage to a husband who loves his wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, That is the husband's role and responsibility. As we read on, we see Paul flesh out the argument and we see uh, that the husband, uh, too, is to relate to his wife in a way that reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, have a look at the next few verses there. Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, a fair bit more time describing the husband's role here than he does the wife's role. And guys, that is a pretty tall order, isn't it? Put up your hand if you're a man, a married man and you think that's a pretty tall order. Oh, a few of you are brave enough to put up your hand, yes. How are you doing that, loving your wife as Christ loves the church? When you read Paul's words here, it seems like there's no way you could match up, surely. And you'd be partly Right? There 's no way a husband can love his wife as perfectly as Christ loves the church, but the one is a metaphor for the other, all the same and the example of Christ is the example uh, to follow as husbands. Uh, if man is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, then we treat our wife as if she were uh, our own body. You love your wife with the same love you have for yourself that might be a tall order uh, you. You care for your wife as you would care for yourself. You're willing to sacrifice to give yourself up for her as Christ gave himself up for the church. Not to say that we're to save our wives from sin, not to say that we're to be the ones to present her wholly to God. Now, that's what Jesus does for wives, for husbands, for all his people. But that sacrificial love, should guide our love for our wives. It should lead us to have primary concern for the spiritual well-being of both our wives and ourselves. How well do you sacrifice for your wife? Do you care for her as though you were caring for your own body? If you're, if you're like me, you struggle to achieve that on any given day, uh, that kind of love. Thankfully, God's not keeping a scorecard. God knows we... They're not perfect like Christ, that's why we have Christ. But we follow Christ's example and we strive to love our wives. The love that's commanded three times in this passage, they're real commands from Paul. Uh, And a husband who loves his wife like this will surely be a husband that a wife will gladly submit to. Of course, there are behaviours of a husband that I think are ruled out by this passage. There's no room here for being an abusive husband, according to Paul. That's not love. Uh, There's no room for being neglectful or indifferent. That's not love. Uh, There's no excuse for being a a domineering, a controlling husband. And Paul doesn't simply say, Look guys, I know it's hard, but just put up with your wives (laughs) as best you can, as Christ put up with it with the church, tolerate her, even if you don't like her anymore because that's what marriage is. No, Paul doesn't say that, even though, sadly, marriages can go in that direction. And again, Paul doesn't instruct the wife to ensure that the husband is doing his duty. It's the husband's command to obey, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Of course, we know from experience, our own experience or our experience uh, of others, uh, that there are all sorts of reasons why a marriage might suffer, why a marriage might might not look anything like this, sadly. All sorts of reasons why it might become something quite different to what it was at the start and, and it can become incredibly hard over time for a husband and wife to continue loving each other. That doesn't negate the teaching. It doesn't negate the command. Uh, Didn't Jesus' love for the church start while we were still his enemies? That's when he gave up his life for the church, and that's the model of sacrificial love that husbands are commanded to follow. Again, of course, if the wife has been abusive or manipulative or hurtful, well, well, then it's right to seek the right kind of help. It's It's loving to deal with that behavior appropriately, not simply put up with it. Being loving doesn't mean being a doormat husband. (laughs) But being loving does mean giving of yourself sacrificially as Christ did for the good of your wife. Are you doing this, husbands? Are you doing this? Uh, Paul highlights the union between husband and wife uh, with a quote here from Genesis and God's original. Designed for marriage, uh, a marriage and, and the one flesh bond between a husband and wife in the sexual relationship. Well, this is representative of our union with God in Christ, and we begin to see just how significant and how important the marriage relationship is. Now, this is why the marriage bed is to be protected. Paul gives uh, many warnings against sexual immorality. Uh, some of them specifically in the context of married couples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, using the one flesh illustration that we've just heard in Ephesians 5, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they are united with Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, and follow along here, verses 14 to 20. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Paul speaking to the Corinthians there about putting sex in its proper place. We're to honour God with our bodies because if we belong to him, we are one with him, united to him in Christ. Do something with the sexual relationship that represents that would be completely wrong. And Paul's using here this, some of the same language as he does in Ephesians that one flesh relationship is designed for marriage. It's part of the glue that holds married couples together, and it reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. Uh, this is a part of marriage which is entirely countercultural in Paul's day. Uh, marriage in the Roman Empire. Uh, certainly isn't what we usually envi- envisage today. Even in uh, secular society, uh, the head of a Roman household uh, was generally expected to have a wife. That was normal, but it was also perfectly acceptable and normal for him to gain companionship and sexual satisfaction with other women. Uh, his wife was for bearing children and maintaining connections with society, but sexual enjoyment could be found in many other places. And that was perfectly acceptable uh, for the head of the Roman household, uh, the Roman husband. Not so in Christian marriage, says Paul, uh, because sexual intimacy in marriage is itself a symbol of an even greater unity, the relationship between Christ and his church. Now, Paul describes that very clearly in Ephesians 5, the nature of the marriage relationship as a sign of our unity with Christ. So you see uh, in this passage, I hope, uh, the order of relationships, uh, different roles and responsibilities, uh, certainly, uh, given by God, and a clear order of headship with wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives, and the church as a whole submitting to Christ. And both partners in marriage are imitating Christ. Wives in their submission to their husband as head and Husbands in loving their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And I hope you haven't tuned out, uh, if you are (laughs) an unmarried person, uh, because this passage is uh, clearly not just about husbands and wives. get to the last couple of verses and you might think, well, it's not even primarily about husbands and wives, strangely enough. (laughs) It's primarily about the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, That's what Paul says again as he comes to the end of this section, verses 32 and 33. Follow along there with me. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul finishes this section by mentioning marriage almost as an aside. (laughs) It's about Christ and the church, he says. Uh, And you should use that relationship as a guide for your marriages. (laughs) He's repeating uh, in the context of marriage, uh, really what he said back at the start of chapter 5, which is a command to all Christians in the church. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ's love and sacrifice for us guides our life and relationships. The writer to the Hebrews describes Jesus' sacrifice well from the passage we read earlier, Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Brings back uh, imagery to my mind of of the bride in Revelation. Uh, Beautifully dressed for her husband and descending from heaven, Jesus has made the church holy and unites her to himself. Paul uses similar words to describe what Christ does for his church. And I'll just read again a couple of verses from Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Praise God for His goodness to us in Christ. Uh, let's strive to live in our marriages in a way that reflects His love. Uh, let's support. Uh, the married couples in our church to live this way. And let's live together as a church with gratitude for what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your love and mercy. We praise you for the sacrifice of your Son Jesus, for his. Love demonstrated in his giving of himself on the cross in payment of sin, receiving your wrath so that we might be saved. We thank you that by believing in Jesus, by trusting in his sacrifice on our behalf, we can be saved. We can be forgiven for sin, saved from your wrath and have the hope of dwelling with you forever. Heavenly Father, we pray that this great love, you've shown this, this wonderful relationship, the unity between Christ and the church, the love Christ has for his church, that this might be imaged in our marriages, Lord, as Christians, uh, let us be people who do love each other Who do uh, take on uh, the roles which you have given so that your glory, your goodness to your your people, the the church, your goodness to your your body, the church, might be reflected in in the way that we live with each other. We pray for husbands and wives in our church, uh, that we would uh, more and more grow in maturity, grow in, in love and respect for each other and and grow in our ability to demonstrate, to reflect your love in the way that we live together. And might we do all we can as a church to support married couples in this. And might we as a a church together always be encouraged by Christ's love for us. Might we uh, always as a church submit to Christ as our head, And to live in ways which bring glory to him, which bring glory to you, Lord. We pray all of this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.